Hello, and welcome to the Full Circle Podcast, your source for insights into the science and art of endurance sports training and racing. I'm your host, Coach Laura Henry. Today, I'm going to share the books that I read in January 2024 and a bit about how I'm going to implement what I learned from those books into my coaching and my training. So folks who know me well know that I love reading. I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot of things. I read a wide variety of things. I believe that reading is one of the best ways that you can learn and to think deeply, uh, to get new ideas that spur you to really think about your work, your life, your place in the world, how you interact with others. And so I read a lot of things. And so my hope is that every month I will share the books that I've read in the hopes that maybe some of them will intrigue you and then also maybe to spark some thoughts for you uh, about maybe your training, you how your life is going, what your work is. So I read physical books. I read them on Kindle. I listen to audiobooks. I don't think it matters how the book is consumed as long as the content is consumed, like as long as you know, you're reading, which again, that term reading can take a wide variety of shapes. But at the end of the day, here's the books that I read in January 2024. We'll start with nonfiction. And a great book that I read in January was called Breath. It's by James Nestor. This book was recommended to me by actually a former athlete who knows that I love reading and knows I love this type of book. So I'm really grateful for the recommendation because I ended up really, really loving this book. It ended up being a really nice complimentary read to Yuval Noah Harari's Sapiens, which I read in 2023. This book, Breath, blends modern day research and science with longstanding practices and tenets of yoga and Eastern medicine to explain why breathing and the breath is so important for humans. Think about this, folks. Breathing is the only autonomic system that we as humans can control in our bodies. So autonomic systems are the ones that we don't have to think about. Breathing, digestion, heart rate, things like that. So why is breathing the only one that we have control over? Why did we evolve to be able to control it? And how can we best harness that ability to help offset preventable conditions such as sleep apnea and dental malocclusion? These are the questions that the author kind of wrestles with in this book. He also asked the question, and this really made me think, why are we the only species on the entire planet who has misaligned teeth and who has breathing problems? Look at other great apes. They don't have crooked teeth. Have you ever seen a dolphin with crooked teeth? Have you ever seen a cat with crooked teeth? Have you ever seen a dog with crooked teeth? I haven't. So that really made me think. All of this and more is what James Nestor dives into in this book, and it's super well-researched, and it includes a lot of self-experimentation that he conducted on himself, along with research papers and studies. A lot of what was shared in the book aligns with my personal anecdotal life experience. When I was a teenager, I was 14, asthma literally almost killed me. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. I had a severe attack my lungs closed, my pulse ox dropped below 70. And by the time the paramedics got to me, it was anticipated that I would die before they were able to get me to an emergency room. They gave me oxygen and then they gave me a quadruple dose of albuterol, which is a bronchodilator. Fortunately, obviously, because you're listening to me on this podcast, 
Fortunately, I survived. Um, and there's no doubt that the bronchodilators, albuterol, um, saved my life. But increased doses of bronchodilators, inhalers, oral medications, other conventional and modern treatments did not work to reduce the severity of my symptoms and the frequency of my attacks. I do believe that the reason why albuterol was so effective for me that day is actually because I didn't overdose on regular medications all the time. And by overdose, I mean like not like die from an overdose, but take it too frequently so that it reduced its impact or effectiveness on my body. I did, however, eventually get asthma under control, and I've only had one attack in my entire adult life. How did I do that? Uh, I went and got breathing therapy when I was a teenager um, from a forward thinking and alternative thinking medical doctor. His name was Dr. Nick. And I learned to harness the power of controlling my breath. Now, as an adult, I've been practicing yoga regularly for more than 12 years. And this has extended my own personal practice of breathing techniques I learned as a teenager. The things that Mr. Nestor shares in this book really align with my experience that breath is not only so important, but can be controlled and can be a power that can be harnessed to really do great things. So what are the applications for this book in coaching? Uh, I'm thinking about, I'm just kind of spitballing, but like I, I have this vision of including breathing warmups in the workouts that I write for athletes. I've already started deploying this um, on some guinea pigs who I told they were going to be guinea pigs for me. And it seems to be going pretty good so far. I also am going to include more breathing cues in workout descriptions and in notes. And then of course, like so many books and content that I consume, this book provided a lot of discussion points that I'll be able to have for conversations with athletes when we're discussing how to manage their increasing heart rates, anxiety during training and racing. I see a lot of applications for this. This is a great book. Another book I read in January 2024 was called The Good Enough Job by Simone Stolzoff. This book was really interesting because it illustrates the hazards of aligning our human identities with our production value. The author uses nine different stories and case studies that each give a different perspective of workism. So basically a submission or belief in work almost kind of like a religion. Um, and that so that ism is intentionally applied by the author when he uses the word workism. As a side note, I listened to this as an audiobook, and I thought that the author, who does read the book himself, had a really great narrating voice. So if you're an audiobook person, I do recommend the audiobook version. I have met so many workists in my personal life and via my work as an endurance coach. And as such, I have long seen the perils of solely seeing somebody for what they do and not who they are. One of my biggest pet peeves in life is when people ask, what do you do rather than who you are and what matters to you when they meet somebody? I can't tell you how many times I've had this happen where I meet somebody for the first time and that is the first question they ask me. Honestly, in my past life, I was doing this a lot too. Uh, but these days and for many years now, I've really been trying to ask more questions about the human. Who are they? I'm not necessarily interested in what they do and what they produce. I'm interested in who they are and what matters to them. I noticed a long time ago that American obituaries almost always lead with what the dead person did in their life to make money. And while work is, can be noble, it can bring dignity, it's important, it isn't all of who we are. And so this question of who are you when you're not producing is such an important one to ask. Who are you? Not what do you do? 
One of the greatest aspects of my job as an endurance coach is that it allows me to live the deep life that is most meaningful to me. And that deep life takes place outside of my working hours and beyond what I do to make money. I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. I love working with athletes. I love endurance sports, but it is not who I am. It is something that I do, but I am more than just my job. And so this book does such a nice job of helping balance what we do with who we are and thus I really think it's an important read for all Americans, especially with our capitalism and with how much we devote ourselves to work. So what are the applications in coaching that I see for this book? It gave me perspective to be able to empathize a bit more with athletes and clients who are workists, whether they recognize that they're workists or not. It helped me to understand how much this idea of workism or what we do is tied to our cultural and societal expectations and thus how challenging it may be for some people to deviate from it. It's very easy to say and hard to do in a lot of cases to say, oh, you're more than what you do. Um, It really is something that like most things you have to practice over and over again to really internalize and, and live out. This book also confirmed my belief that a person is more than just one silo. Full Circle Endurance's name as a company actually rose out of this belief. I work with the full or entire person. It's impossible, in my opinion, to segregate people into their different capacities. So for instance, I'm Laura, an athlete. I'm Laura, a sister. I'm Laura, a daughter. I'm Laura, a coach. I'm Laura, a friend. But those aren't individual silos. They're all existing on a spectrum on all of those things simultaneously. And it's a sliding spectrum about which version of me, of which silo of me is more dominant at any given point in a day, but they're all existing simultaneously. So it's really important to see and acknowledge that about each person. And that's what I seek to do for each of my clients. Each athlete I work with is more than just an athlete. They are an entire person. They are a person who has hopes, who has dreams, who has a family, who has friends, who has people that love them, people that they love, and things that they love to do in their lives. And it's so important to see people for that. Next up is Training and Racing with a Power Meter, the third edition by Hunter Allen, Andrew Coggin, and Stephen McGregor. This book was originally published in 2006, Uh, second edition was published in 2015, and then this edition that I just read was published in 2019. And so there's been updates since that original publication to basically take into account the advances in technology that have taken place during that time, both in power meter technology itself and in the software that analyzes it. Overall, I would say that this book was laid out well and that it did a nice job of introducing and explaining the concepts of training and racing with a power meter in cycling. I've used a power meter personally for over nine years as an athlete, and I've also coached athletes using power meters for about the same amount of time. So I came into reading this book with a decent amount of knowledge and experience surrounding these concepts. And that being said, I definitely think that there were important things that I gleaned from the book and that I'll be able to put to use to enhance how I coach cycling for athletes who choose to train with power. The authors use case studies to illustrate, sometimes literally, because there are a ton of graphs throughout the book, the points that they want to make and to give evidence for what they're saying to to kind of literally illustrate their points. 
The book also includes an appendix that includes power-based workouts, which I think would be really useful for self-coached athletes uh, or even coaches who haven't necessarily built up their own workout libraries yet. Going through it, a lot of the workouts that are in there are actually similar, if not exactly the same as what I already program or workouts that I write myself. That being said, I didn't necessarily take it from these guys. Those are just things I've built up over the years through experience, learning from other sources, etc. So there's definitely some really solid information, really solid workouts in the back of the book. Uh, it definitely includes workouts that I know, even without having read this before right now, I know because I've utilized so many of those similar workouts that they would be effective. This book is pretty comprehensive and pretty long. I think it was at least 350 or 400 pages, big pages in print. I think it's really important to note that it's absolutely impossible to write out or to cover all of the nuances that go along with training and racing with power. This book would provide a nice starting point for an athlete who is new or a coach who is new to using power, but I can tell you that it really actually just takes time and experience to fully leverage the tool of power training effectively. There's no book that's going to replace that firsthand experience that you get as an athlete or as a coach from working with athletes and getting the feedback on those workouts. Finally, I think that it's really important to share that there's a very heavy focus on software that's called WKO and its features. WKO was developed by the authors of this book and is part of the Training Peaks business. And Training Peaks is an online training platform for those who aren't familiar with it. I use a platform called Final Surge personally. I used to use Training Peaks. I switched over to Final Surge about seven or eight years ago. I like it better for a lot of reasons. That being said, the book references WKO. Specifically, it references WKO4 and even since 2019, it's already outdated because WKO5 is the current iteration of that software. Many of the terms that they discuss in the book are proprietary, WKO only or training peaks only, and thus can only be utilized if you are a user of those softwares. Now, other platforms such as Final Surge have come up with similar things that aren't exactly the same calculation or algorithm because they can't use the same one because, again, it's trademarked as proprietary. That being said, it's important to note that if you use a different software, you can still leverage a lot of the concepts, even if you don't see the exact phrasing or the exact term for what they're doing. So what are the applications in coaching? Out of all the books I've read this month, this is probably the most uh, quote unquote, easily translatable. I mean, it's a very clearly, this is a book about how to train and race to the power meter and I coach athletes in training and racing. I would say that this book confirmed a lot of what I've anecdotally observed to be true about training with a power meter. And now I have some source and additional data points to back up what I'm saying. If I'm talking to an athlete or trying to explain concepts, I liked the way that they explained some things. I did it a little bit more eloquently than maybe I have done so in the past. And it also gave me a few extra tools to leverage when FTP testing isn't working well for athletes. And I could do, and I will do, a whole nother podcast on different elements of how to train and race with power. But Suffice it to say that the FTP test is a critical component of this, and it's also a very stress-inducing point for athletes. So I like that I have some other tools in the tool about how to think about FTP testing or how to look at other elements and, and still get some helpful points for athletes. 
And then I would say this, some of the guidelines about how to optimize intervals within a workout were really interesting. And it gave me a nice framework to build workouts myself and how to write my workout instructions. So I definitely see me doing that as I move forward in my work with athletes in my coaching. Overall, I'd, I'd give this probably four stars. Again, I wouldn't say it's five stars because it wasn't earth shattering or new information for me, but it was a really solid read. And I think it would be a really nice read for folks who aren't as familiar with training and racing with power. In addition to reading nonfiction, I also read quite a bit of fiction in January. And part of the reason why I was able to read so much fiction in January is that I was traveling over the holidays and had a lot of extra time. It's kind of a downtime work-wise for me uh, at the turn of the year, which might seem paradoxical considering how many people sign up for gym memberships and things around the 1st of January every year. But I actually have a lot more time in January than I do in like the main season, which would be like May through October every year. So I was able to read quite a bit more. And so the first book, it actually it ended up being a series of books that I read in January was the Ark of a Scythe series by Neil Shusterman. So this is a trilogy that then also includes an extra book of additional stories from in the world of the trilogy. So the three books in the trilogy are Scythe, Thunderhead, and the Toll, and the extra book is called Gleanings, Stories from the Ark of a Scythe. I found this series to be really engrossing. I'm a real sucker for books that are set in a dystopian future because they tend to point out interesting parts of human nature and the potential consequences of current societal trends. And I like exploring that. I like thinking about that and kind of imagining where we might be going. Um, and so this series is written for young adults, uh, but I don't care. Um, it's it's very much like Harry Potter and the Hunger Games to me. It drew me right in. I found it immersive and diverting. And honestly, I think I've read all four books in about six days. I mean, it was just really engrossing. And like I said, I had the time to do it. So it was really, really quite an enjoyable experience for me to read these books. I definitely recommend them. Another fiction book I read in January was America's First Daughter by Stephanie Dre and Laura Kamoy. I hope I'm not butchering that. But this is a historical fiction novel. I love historical fiction. And the author's thing is to write historical fiction that tells well-known stories from a female perspective and or to highlight the unsung females of history. So this story, America's First Daughters, was told from the perspective of Martha Jefferson Randolph, who was the daughter of Thomas Jefferson, who was the third president of the United States. What we know about Thomas Jefferson in actual history is because of what was edited by Martha Jefferson Randolph. She went through all of his letters and personal effects after he died, and they were only released to others or to the public after that process. So she controlled the narrative that was told and that remained in history about her father. Martha Jefferson Randolph was a really complicated person who, in my opinion, lived in a really complicated time. She was the daughter of a slave owner, and she became a slave owner herself when she inherited Monticello and the properties of her father, which did include human beings. And it's... It's such a complicated time in American history because I, I believe and maybe I want to believe that people wrestled with the horrors of owning human beings and with the horrors of slavery. And 
So some might say that the authors glossed over those horrors with the way that this book was written, but I really think they did a good job of capturing the most likely perspective that Randolph would have had, which was that she probably was very aware, at least on some level, of the moral injustice of slavery, but she didn't act on it for selfish reasons, for societal reasons, for both selfish and societal reasons. She didn't act on it. And that competed with how the economy and society functioned at the time. And I think that the book overall was really interesting, given that it really started with when Martha Jefferson Randolph was a child and then carried through to when she was a bit older beyond her father's death and really was very comprehensive in telling the story of Thomas Jefferson's life and presidency and post-presidency and legacy through her eyes. And since Thomas Jefferson's wife had died before he became president of the United States, Abigail Adams, who coined the term first lady when she was the spouse of the second president of the United States, John Adams, there was no first lady for Thomas Jefferson uh, because he didn't have a wife. So she got known, Martha Jefferson Randolph got known as the first daughter. So anyway, really interesting book, really complicated, made me think a lot and made me, uh, you know, wrestle with some of the really complicated themes that existed at that time in American history. The book Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabriel Zevin was really interesting to me because it kind of shocked me that I liked it, if I'm being honest. This novel's protagonists are gamers and they design video games. Uh, I'm not a gamer (laughs) at all. Uh, And yet this really drew me in. And that was surprising to me. I really liked that it highlighted the uniqueness and value of non-romantic personal relationships. And the book itself was told and narrated from different perspectives and told through different mediums. I mean, the book is written, but how it's narrated is through different mediums. So for instance, there's a whole section that's a narration of a video game, and it actually furthers the plot of the book. It it tells the story of the book, and I thought that was really interesting. It helped to really develop the characters and to get me or the reader invested in them. And so I really thought that this book was both immersive and imaginative, and I think it was a fun and interesting read. Verity by Colleen Hoover was a book that if my schedule had allowed it, I would have finished in one sitting. As it was, I finished it within a single day, uh, but I did have to take a break because I had to go live my real life. Uh, But it was such an engrossing book. I mean, I, I literally devoured it. It pulled me right in from the first chapter. It's a bit of a mystery. Um, It's a bit of a thriller. And It really had me guessing and trying to figure out what was going on throughout the entire book. Given that I read a lot and I actually studied media in undergrad, I generally can pick up on hints. And it's not often that I get surprised, quite frankly. I can pick up on foreshadowing details that maybe aren't as blatant to other readers or other viewers, but unfortunately, it ends up ruining things for me sometimes. But such as such as the way. But anyway, one of my guesses ended up being right, but it was only partially right. And so I ultimately found it fun that I could not completely figure out what was really going on in the book. I will say that parts of the story were incredibly disturbing, and that didn't really seem to take away from how much I liked the book, which I don't know if that's good or bad. It probably means I'm desensitized in some way. But I really really just thought it was engrossing and and really enjoyed it. And uh, I really loved that it successfully surprised me. 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode and diving into the books that I read in January 2024. If you would like to learn more about or read any of the books I've shared, there's a full list of all the books in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And as I mentioned, I love reading. So if you have any suggestions of books that you think would be interesting, I'd love to hear about them. Please send them to me at hello at fullcircleendurance.com. This coming month, I hope that you find some good books to dive into yourself and happy reading. That was another episode of the Full Circle Podcast. Subscribe to the Full Circle Podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like what you listen to, please be sure to leave us a rating and review as this goes a long way in helping us reach others. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Full Circle Podcast are those of the individual. As always, we love to hear from you and we value your feedback. Please send us an email at podcast at fullcircleendurance.com or visit us at fullcircleendurance.com backslash podcast. To find training plans, see what other coaching services we offer, or to join our community, please visit fullcircleendurance.com. I'm Coach Laura Henry. Thanks for listening.